Well, uh, why don't we open our Bibles to Titus chapter 1, and I'll just start by asking you some questions, just some things to think about to get your mind on God and on what, Lord willing, we're going to talk about. There's this phrase that I hear a lot. It's your relationship with God. Some people say, do you have a personal relationship? Um, But there's a lot of talk for sure about our relationship with God. And I'm not saying that's bad, but just something that I'm thinking about, have been thinking about. And if somebody asked you, what's your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? you have a personal relationship with God, what would you say? You know, when we go to campus, a lot of times the question I ask is, are you right with God? Which is, is asking about your relationship with God. Is it a right relationship? Most of the time people ask, what do you mean by that? And usually we say, well, what we mean is, what's happened to your sin? You know, the Bible says that every person is separated from God because of sin. So that's where we start. Our relationship with God starts bad right? It starts under his wrath. And so have, has that been made right? And usually what people do is they, they do start describing their relationship with God. And some of it is encouraging, some of it isn't very encouraging. You know, I had a friend in uh, middle school when I went to the youth group at my church when I was a kid and he had a shirt and the shirt was describing his quote relationship with God and it said Jesus is my homeboy and it was it's sad you know I mean it's like oh man my hope is that later on he saw you know wow that is not a good description of my relationship with God I used to pass out these tracts when I was a Christian, first real early on Christian, and the tract said, Ticket to Heaven. And I remember, I mean, I was really trying to honor God, and maybe he was with that t-shirt too, but I remember at one point, looking down at the track, I think I'd passed out, I mean, a lot of those tracts, and I realized, I don't believe this. Like, I, I don't think I actually believe this. And I stopped passing out the tracks. I realized that is not a good description of, of what kind of relationship I want someone to have with God. And there's, I'm sure there's people. I mean, someone wrote the tracks. So there, surely there are people who think, what's my relationship with God, with Jesus Christ? It's Jesus is my ticket to heaven. And that's it. One time, Ryan and I went down to the bars, and maybe I've told this already before, but there was this guy, and we asked him about his relationship with God, even though we didn't use the word relationship with God, but that's what we were basically asking is, are you right with God? And he said, you know, he's on his way into the bar, and I asked him, what do you think God thinks about this, you know? And he said, that's why I'm going to confession in the morning. So what's his relationship with God? It's... I'm going to do what I want to do, 
and my relationship with God is who I go to after I do all the things that I enjoy doing and I say I'm sorry and I feel better about it. A lot, a lot, another common response is, well, I got baptized when I was so-and-so age. Another thing that actually I hear is kind of strange, but one of the most common things I hear when I start asking people about their relationship with God is they start talking about mission trips they went on. It seems odd, but it's one of the most common things I hear people say, well, I went on a mission trip this summer or two years ago. We went to this, you know, here or there. And that's really for them what defines their relationship with God. I hear things about family a lot. My dad's a pastor. My mom's religious. Things like that. That's their relationship to God. The Bible gives us a lot of descriptions. Maybe that would be a good series. Is What does the Bible describe our relationship with God like? I mean, think about those verses if somebody said, well, my relationship with God is like a vine and I'm the branch and I can't do anything apart from Him. If I, if I get just a little distance between me and God, there's nothing I can do. I'm totally dependent. Well, that sounds encouraging. Or my relationship with God is like a man that went into a field and he found this treasure and in his joy he gave up all that he had because the treasure was more valuable and that's what my relationship with God is like. I love Jesus more than everything the world had to offer. If you, if you put Jesus on this one side of the scale and everything the world has to offer on the other side of the scale, and you said, which one do you want? I would laugh and say, this side's garbage. I want Jesus. Right? Because that's what Paul actually said in Philippians. And so what I'm just trying to get you to think is, what, what would you say? And what does the Bible say? Because... For me, this week, I was thinking about one specific, it's not, this isn't the description of every facet of the Christian life, it's, it's the description of one facet, but it shocked me, and I was thinking, man, do I think about my relationship with God like this? Do I believe this? And so let's look at what Paul says. Think about this. So here's Paul's answer, right? What if somebody came up to Paul? Paul. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? What is that like? This is what Paul says, Titus 1.1. Paul, a slave of God. That's what he said. I would be shocked. My mouth would drop to the floor if that's somebody's answer. What's your relationship with God like? I'm God's slave. You're actually talking to God's servant. I'm God's servant. I know the God you're talking about. And he actually repeatedly says this over and over and over. It's one of his most common descriptions. He's like, hey, I'm going to write to you so you know who I am. Just so you know, I'm Paul, the servant of God. What if you could hear people's thoughts when they walked in the door? You know, somebody comes in, uh, where am I going to sit? Oh, man, somebody's in my seat again. <laughs> somebody else comes in, and they sit, and they think, servant of God just walked in. What do you want me to do, Lord? I mean, that sounds proud, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like, that guy's a little bit off. 
But that's what the Bible says, right? It says we're servants of God. That's exactly, that's exactly what Paul said. That's pretty wild. So I just want to thank you and me to think today about this. What does it mean that we're a servant of God or a slave of God? What does it mean? Is that how my relationship is with God? Is that how I think about myself? And so we're just going to talk about what does it mean? What does that mean to be a slave of God? So we'll just talk about a few things. The first thing is, it means that you belong to another. A slave belongs to another. Specifically, God. We belong to God. Think about 1 Corinthians six fourteen through 20. You are not your own. Sorry, 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul again, huh? Here I am. Who am I? Who owns me? Not me. Why? Because someone bought me. And actually, the interesting thing is, here in Titus, Paul describes himself as a slave a different time. Look at uh, chapter 3 with me. Let's look at this. This is Paul actually describing Titus 3.3 3, himself as a slave pre-conversion before he knew Jesus. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves, now, that's the same word. That word slaves is the same word up here in one one as servant. S- slaves or servants to various passions and pleasures, passing our time, our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So, let's pause right there. Keep your finger right there. But what does he say? He says, I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always a slave of God, a servant of God. I used to be a slave of something else. I used to be a slave of whatever I felt like doing, of my own uh, passions and pleasures. I was a slave not of God. I was disobedient to God. I was not following God on what he, where He led me. I was led astray on a totally different path. But what happened? Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. So how did Paul become a slave? Well, he wasn't always a slave. Did he become a slave? Let me ask you this. According to this verse, did Paul become a slave by doing a really good job and impressing God? That's not what it says. It says, not according to works done by us in righteousness. Did did Paul become a slave through something that 
he merited through not necessarily something he did, but how attractive he was to God, his, his skills and his intellect. No. It's said by grace. It's a gift. It's not something he deserves or he earns. To become a slave of God, he had to be washed. He had to be made new. In 2, chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Who gave himself, that's Jesus, for us to redeem, to purchase us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's somebody else's possession purchased by the blood of God. The blood of God. Wow. You know, Spurgeon tells this story about a real account, as far as he knows, of a slave and a master. And a master is about to kill a slave. And if I have the story right, he's got either a knife or a sword. Someone else sees him and steps in between them. And the master cuts the person who steps in between him. And this is what the guy says. He says, I just purchased this slave by my blood. He, sa- he spares the slave's life, and he sheds his own blood, and the other guy says, all right, he is your slave now. I was going to kill him. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Um, I, I'm, you know, he made a big mistake. How do you think that slave felt towards the guy who stepped in and shed his own blood? Wow. That's what Jesus did for us. But it's different than that, right? It's greater and grander than that because Jesus is perfect. Jesus never had to have blood at all. Jesus didn't have to become a man. Jesus didn't have to take on mortality. And that guy who steps in, he's going to die one day anyways, right? Jesus never had to die. He did it willingly. That blood that was shed for that slave was sinner's blood. The blood that was shed for us was perfect blood. Praise God, right? We were bought with a price. We belong to another. We've been redeemed. I'm a slave because someone bought me. Someone bought me. I was in a pit. I was a slave to someone else. Slave to sin. Various lusts and pleasures. And then I was purchased out at a high cost, and now I belong to God. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you, especially if you know you're not a Christian, just think about this. Or if you... Does this describe you? Are you a slave of God? Or are you still a slave to various passions and pleasures, what you want? Here's the thing, you, you may not feel like a slave. You may not feel like a slave. Remember when Jesus told the Jews that they were slaves to sin and they're like, no, we're not. We've never been slaves to anyone. And remember what Jesus says, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. You want to know how, how you can tell, hey, am I a slave of God or am I a slave of sin still? Well, it's the second point. 
The slave does the will of another. A slave belongs to another, and a slave does the will of another. That's how we can know. And let's look at a couple verses on this. Romans 6. If you'll turn there, read a couple verses. Specifically asking ourselves this aspect of a slave does the will of another. And we're going to look at Romans 6. We're going to start in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone... As obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Romans 6.16, what is it saying? It's saying that we are slaves. How do you know who you're a slave to? It's the one that you obey. A slave does the will of another. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So how do you know? Are you a slave of sin? Are you a slave of God? Who do you obey? Right? Because when God purchases a slave by his blood, he doesn't just forgive the slave, right? We're not just forgiven of our sins. It says we're freed from our sins. So when we come under the blood of Jesus by faith to be washed, it's the washing of regeneration. It's not just one or the other. There's not a person who's forgiven by Jesus' blood who's who's also not freed by Jesus' blood. Does that make sense? And so you're, you're, you're slave to sin. He purchases you out and He makes you new. He frees you. Like I said, if you're lost, you might not feel like a slave, but you know what? You're a slave. You want to know how you can know you're a slave? You've got to get to the end of your chain. Because... Imagine I've got a chain on my ankle, okay? And it's six feet long. I could say to you, hey, I'm, I'm not a slave. Look, I can walk here. I, can, I want to go over here. I can walk over here. I'm not a slave. See, I can go where I want. Until you say, walk over there. And you can't do it. Because you get to the end of your chain and you turn around, whoa. You know what that chain is? Here you go, ready? If you're lost, try to quit sinning. Try to quit doing that thing on the computer. You know, try to quit this or that. How long have you known lying is wrong? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years? Have you quit that? Try it. I remember talking to this guy on campus and we had this exact conversation and he had this specific thing. I told him, this is sin. He's like, you know what? You're wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit it. I'm going to quit this sin. And when I see you again, you know, we'll talk about it. And I I told him, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to do it. You're either going to humble yourself before God or you're going to change your mind and justify it. Guess what happened when I saw him again? I asked him, I said, hey, have you quit this sin? He said, I decided it wasn't wrong. I said, that's what I told you, he would say. 
and he walked off. If you can't obey God because you have to obey your passions and pleasures, you know God doesn't want you to do this, you know it's not good for you, but you can't stop, you're a slave. And you need to be freed by Jesus. You can't do it. You can't, there's not three options. It's not slave of sin, free myself from sin, and now I'm a free man, or slave of Jesus. You can't do it. You can't free yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. You can try, but you've got to be purchased by Jesus. There's a lot of people who want to be free from sin. They don't want to be slaves of Jesus, but they don't want to be slaves of sin either. And so what do they do is they try in their own mind, I'm going to try harder this week, God. I'm going to try to be different. I'm going to try not to do this. Not because I want to serve and follow you, but because I don't want to feel so guilty about this sin. So they try and free themselves. You know what? It doesn't work. You can't do it. There aren't three options. There's not slave of sin, free man, freed yourself, or slave of Jesus. There is no free man. You're a slave of sin or you're a slave of Jesus. And you want to know which one you are? Which one are you obeying? That's what Paul says here. He was disobedient in Titus 3.3. He was disobedient to God because he was a slave to his various passions. Think about this word, Lord. Lord. We say it so much. I bet you have said it ten times today. In the songs, maybe in prayer. Do you believe it? Lord in the New Testament means God, for sure. Lord is the word they, they put in the uh, Old Testament in place of Yahweh, right? Jehovah, God. The personal name of God. But it's not only that. It means a couple other things. One of the things it means is just like sir. Sometimes the word Lord is translated sir. It's something you say out of respect to someone. A term of honor. But it's also one other thing. It's an owner of slaves. The master. Is Jesus your Lord? In that sense. Is he your master? Is is it his will that you want to do? Do you belong to him? You know, and the reason we know that Jesus means this when he's talking about himself as Lord is in this verse. I want you to look at it with me. Six, Luke six, forty-six. It's just a few words, but I want you to just to see it there on the page. Luke 6:46 Think about this. We said Jesus is Lord so many times. Is he Lord? Is he Lord? Are you do you belong to him? Is your will to do his will? Or is he just Lord in word only? Look at this verse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If I'm your Lord, and I tell you do this, and you say no, then I'm not your Lord. The Master says do this, and we do it, because He's the Master. 
If we don't do it, he's not the master. Somebody else is. We are. Sin is. The ple- our various lusts and pleasures are. Is there anything? There can't be one thing in your life that you say no to God on. Or he's not your Lord. Think about Judas. What's going to happen is the same thing that happened with Judas. Judas had this one thing, it seems like. There's probably more, but we, can, we know for sure there's this one thing. Money. He was following Jesus around. Boy, it looked like Jesus was his Lord. He followed him around for two years. He cast out demons. He did all these things. But you know who was really the Lord? Money. And you know how, what happened? There came a point where he had to decide between one or the other. I have to decide between money or Jesus. Guess which one he decided? He decided money, remember? He took the silver and betrayed Jesus. The whole time it looked like Jesus was his Lord, but he wasn't. It was money. Money was his Lord. And when they clashed in the end, he had to decide, oh, is it money or Jesus? And it was money. That, that's the same thing that happened, remember, with the rich young ruler? I've kept all these commands for my youth. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all you have. Was Jesus his Lord? If he did what he said. But he didn't. He went away sad. What if, it's, what if there's one thing in your life that you hold on to? It's like, God, you're my Lord. I'll do whatever you say. And God says, don't do this or do do this. And you hold on. That one thing will keep him from being your Lord. Is that you? Praise God, it doesn't have to be you. Jesus can free you. Give that one thing. Be honest with God. Say, God, there's this thing, and I, I think it's my Lord. I'm scared it's my Lord. Ask Him for help. Cleanse me, forgive me, change me. God, I don't want to go to hell over video games. I don't want to go to hell over pornography. I, I want to I know you. I want you to really be my Lord. Whatever it takes, Lord. I want to do your will. Remember 1 John talks about this. It's a, he says, don't love the world or the things of the world. All that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But what? But the one who does the will, the desires of God, abides forever. So... You know those words lust there? I think we've talked about this before. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. That's the word desire. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes. And it's also the the word for will. Will of the flesh, will of the eyes. So you're either going to do the will of the flesh or you're going to do the will of God. And one of them abides forever. The one that abides forever is the one that does the will of God. The one who's been made his slave. And it's not my will anymore. Jesus, it's your will. You're my master. I'm just a servant. You're the master. You tell me what to do in any area, in every area. That's what it means to be a slave. You belong to another. You've been purchased. But you're also doing the will of another. So is that you? I mean, do you wake up in the morning and you think, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Whatever you want me to do, guide me, show me. I want to do what you want. 
Or maybe you pray. Maybe you get up and you get on your knees and you think, Lord, give me this today. Give me that today. God, don't let this happen today. That's different. That's still a relationship with God, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a relationship, but it's certainly not a servant-slave relationship. Right? And I want, I want to be like this. Don't you? Don't you want to be totally surrendered to the Master? Don't you want to be the guy that walks in and thinks, God, your servant's here, whatever you want him to do. Yeah. Now, a lot of that was to non-Christians. Let's move on to some more things for Christians. What else is a slave? A slave lives, belongs to another, does the will of another for the approval of another. For God, right? You're a slave, you're out working in the field, somebody comes by and they say, you're worthless slave. You don't know how to plow the field. Does that matter? Not if they're not the master. You're out there plowing for the master. Who cares what this other guy says? If the master comes by and says, that guy is doing exactly what I want him to do, so leave him alone. You feel awesome. Like, the master thinks I'm doing the right thing. doesn't matter what other people think. I'm, I'm living for the master. Think about Paul in another place. He says, we make it our aim to please all those around us. No. We make it our aim to please Him. We make it our aim to please Him. We're living for the, we're living for the day that we see Jesus and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. That's what we're waiting for. In John 5, Jesus talks to the Pharisees about how they can't become Christians. They can't believe in Him. Why? He says, how can you believe when you seek the glory that comes from another, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? He's saying, if you're seeking to please all these other people, get glory from them, you can't believe in Me. You've got to be seeking the glory that comes from the only God. That's us, right? That's what we want. We want to be that. We want to be that person looking to please the Master, looking to please Jesus, please our Father. He owns us. We're wanting to do what He wants us to do and we're doing it for His approval. Let's look at this. There's a lot of turning here, but this is just all over the place and it's so good we can't really pass it up. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5. to This is unreal to me. I mean, I've just been thinking about this, thinking about this, trying to let this percolate, be asking God to make it real in my heart. It's like, wow, how did I not see this? I say Lord every day. And I haven't been thinking about it. I haven't been thinking about, man, I am the servant. Jesus is my Lord. 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
We do His will. We've got to do His will. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Let's stop right there. So here he is. What is he saying? Where the servant lives to please the Lord. He's saying even him, his own self-judgment doesn't matter. If, he's, if, if the slave's out in the field and the slave is you know, uh, you know, plowing the field and thinks, wow, I am doing such a good job. Does that matter? If the master doesn't think that? No. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, I don't know of any sin in my life. But I'm not banking on that because it's not, I'm not living for my own standard. I'm living to the master standard. So if one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and it's, it's not going to matter what I, how good I think I did in the Christian life. It's going to matter how, how he thought I did. So I don't even judge myself. I ask God, God, just like David, you search me. You search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. It's, that's what we're living for, isn't it? For him. One more point, and then we'll talk about application. So we're living for the approval of another, for God's approval, right? We're, we're doing the will of another, and we belong to another. There's one more. This is, the most, this is one of the most encouraging. They're all encouraging, but this one is really helpful. The slave, the slave lives with the provision and protection of another. Who feeds the slave? Who protects the slave? The master. This is, this is amazing. Look at this in Job 1. Man, I've read this so many times. Job 1. And this just blows my mind. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Well, that's encouraging. That right there is encouraging. God's looking down on the earth and he's like, wow, there's my servant, Job. He brings him up. Hey, have you considered Job? He's a faithful servant. Now, remember what we're thinking about is provision and protection. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around his, him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. 
and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to his face. What does Job bring up? Job brings up the provision and the protection of God towards his servant. He says, yeah, Job loves you. Job serves you. He fears you. Because look at all the provision and protection. You put a hedge about him. You won't let me touch him. Think about that. God lets him to show that Job really did serve God, not because of all that. But Satan pointed out to us a really good point. Wow. God provides and protects for his servant. You want to know how I know he's doing that for you? Because if God let Satan touch you for one day, you know what would happen? What happened to Job? He said, Job, you've got full, or he said, Satan, you've got full reign to touch Job. You just can't touch his health. His whole family died. All his possessions were taken away. The only one that's left is his wife. And then Satan uses her to tell Job to curse God. If Satan had unhindered access to you as a servant of God for one day, you know what he would do? He would destroy everything. That's what he did. Right? Where did he stop? He only stopped where God drew the line. And he said he can't touch his body. And even then he comes back and asks, well, let me touch him. Let me heal him. And God has to draw another line. You can, but you can't kill him. Think about that. What does that say? It says that God has a hedge of protection about his servants. Job can't do it. I'm sorry. Satan can't do it. He can't hurt Job unless God pulls back the hedge. And even then, there's a line. Even when God pulls back your hedge a little bit, there's difficulty coming in your life. If you're his servant, God's drawn the line here and no further. And if you, if you right now haven't lost all your family and, and all your health and you're covered in boils where you can't even move, then God has drawn a line because that's what Satan wants to do. That's what it says right here. If he could, he would. Think about how quick that is. That's one day. It's immediate. It's like, here's, a, here's access. And it's like, everything comes on him all at once. Aren't you thankful God doesn't do that? He... he I bet for you and for me, we know he has pulled the hedge back a little bit, hasn't he? There's things in our life that are hard. He's pulling back so slow. Even when he brings it in, it's so slow. It's like, here, there's this difficulty. It's so hard, but you know what? I'm going to bring it on just a little bit. He didn't, do, he didn't do to us like he's done to Job. None of us. Not that we don't have hard things. Not that God isn't letting him in our life. He absolutely is. But he's in total control. It's really encouraging whenever Satan accidentally encourages us. It's like, yeah, you said something true about God right there, but you kind of messed up. <laughs> like, you told us God is awesome. Like, <laughs> um, God protects us. Last thing I'm going to say about this, and I'm just going to read this to you, is I think maybe Paul, I just this is just a total guess on my part. But I wonder if Paul made this like a big thing in his mind because this is what God told him when he very first became a Christian. He tells this is what Paul, this is how Paul describes his conversion. 
He says, I journeyed from Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, and at midday, O king, he's talking to a king here, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and all those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Why did God appear to him? To appoint you as a servant, as a slave, and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to the things which I will appear to you, in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then this is what he says later on. Therefore, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He did, he, he's like, you're the Lord, and I'm going to do what you say. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be disobedient when the Lord speaks. I'm going to do just what he said. So he wasn't disobedient, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. And then later on he says this, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So what did he say? His first encounter is with who? With the Lord. And what does the Lord say? I'm going to make you a servant. And then he says, and I'm going to obey. And I obeyed him. And you know what? He provided for me. He protected me. And up until this day, I've always had the help of God. That's what he said. Yeah. Why? Well, he's God's servant. God sent him on a mission. Of course God's going to help him. He's going to give him what he needs. He's going to protect him on the way. Remember in the boat? I mean, there they are. They're in the boat. And God tells them, hey, boat's going to sink. What a, what a good God. He purchased us. He wants us to do His will. We're living for His approval with His provision and protection. It's a good thing to belong to God, isn't it? So, let's apply it. Let's think about this. So here's what, first question we ask, okay? What did Paul say? Okay, and then we ask, do I believe it? Is this true of me? Am I really a servant of God? If I am, do I believe I'm a servant of God? Is it real? When I, go, when I wake up in the morning, is it real? Do I ask, God, what do you want me to do today? You're in charge. You're, you're the master. Whatever you want, that's what I want to do. You know what else Paul does? He always just, in his letters, he starts just by saying, hey, this is what I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying this and this and this. Not always. In many of his letters, he does that. So maybe that's the way I should say it. Maybe I'll try and do it just like Paul did. You know what? I'm praying for you. 
Here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that there's somebody here who there is an area where they haven't given up control and they do it. They say, Jesus, you're my Lord, everything. I mean it. Not Lord of a little bit, not Lord of all the spaces in my schedule where I'm not busy, Lord of it all. And I'm praying that that's that you'll give it up and you'll, Jesus will really be your Lord. Total commitment. Totally belonging to Him. Completely submitted to His will in every area. I'm also praying for some of you that you would live for the approval of God and not anyone else. Because if you get to where you're living for the approval of these other people around you, you know what? It's so much worse. It's like a burden on your back than if you're living for the approval of Jesus. I mean, who do you want to stand for? You don't want to stand before me, right? You don't want to say, hey, Andrew, here's all the problems in my life. Tell me what you really think. I'm not like Jesus. Jesus was so gracious and kind and compassionate. Think about the huge you know, things that happened with the disciples and he says things like, oh, you have little faith. It's like so kind and loving. It's wonderful. Right? He's a good, it's a good thing that we're going to stand under the God who loved and died for us. He's the one that's so encouraging. He lo- I know he loves me. He's gracious, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love. That's the one I'm accountable for? Praise God. Praise God it's not my coworkers, Right? That's good news. So for some of you, that's what I'm praying, is that this burden of like trying to please those around you, it just gets lifted off and it, you place it on Jesus. Or, for some of you... you Remember this, the, this psalm where they say, as the eye of a maiden looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to you. You remember that? It's like, I'm the servant. I'm just looking to God just like a servant looks to the hand of the master. That's in the context of actually criticism, of actually difficulty, people saying negative things. And so what I'm praying for some of you is that whenever you hear criticism, whenever you... Um, feel maybe disapproval that you look to God, right? Because in the end, He's the one you're accountable to. What does it matter? Here's what matters. If that's true and you give it to God, God, tell me, help me. Is this, is this, am I off? Show me. Boy, it's much, it's much easier to just give it all to God. Here it comes. I'm just going to give it to you, God. Look to you. Hey, God, this is an area I want you to search me in. That could be a big burden lifted, I hope, for some of you. For some of you, maybe it's, seriously, you shred your calendar. It's like, man, my calendar has been, I'm going to fill in these places where, where I've got some free time and then maybe think about God then uh, God, I, I can I can do this. You know, it looks like we've got a bit of time here and here. And I'm just praying for some of you that maybe that's what you do. You just say, you know what, I'm gonna stop just trying to fit God in. I'm gonna shred it, and I'm just gonna say, God, 
you set my calendar? Like, what do you want me to do? Is, this, is there too much? Am I trying to squeeze you in, or do I need to just throw all this out and just say, God, you set it up. Like, you're my Lord. I've been acting like I'm the Lord, and you get the leftovers. For some of you, I'm praying that you, it would be so real to you that God is providing for you, that he's protecting you, Not that there's not really difficult things in your life, but I'm praying that there would just be this overwhelming sense of, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant. And you could just rest in it. And you could walk in to a difficult situation. Just think about Mason's thing that he's talking about from Second Kings. He's surrounded by armies. And what? He's like, the one that we're serving, you know, he's mightier. I want you to feel like that. That's what my prayer for you, you know, some of you is just that you would have this sense of security because you know, despite all that's going on around you, I'm God's servant. He knows my name. It's not, when you meet Jesus, it's not going to be like, and, and oh, yeah, I kind of remember you. He's going to say your name. He's going to say, he's going to say your name. He knows you. And he's providing, he's protecting, he's watching. I really want that to be real. What a sense that you're not alone there. For some of you, I'm praying that you would just, this would be burned in your heart. And when you get home from work, it would be, so easy to begin just to serve and not be served because that's who you are. You're a servant. You know it. I'm a servant. It's not about me being served. I'm a servant of God. It's not unnatural that I come home from work and then I have to start serving in another place. That's, that's what God wants me to do. That's who he made me to be. For some of you, I'm praying that you would be more bold, right? Like just what CJ was saying, exactly the point that I was thinking Music, right? There's so many people that have musical talents. And you know what? I think some of you need to hear, you are God's servant. He gave you this gift. Be bold. I mean, imagine if an angel from heaven came and said, hey, God's given you a gift. Would you be like, ooh, I just, I don't know if I can use it. You know, I, I, think, <laughs> I think maybe God doesn't want me to use it. He just wants me to sit in the back. Well, it's like, God gave you the gift. He wants you to use it. Use it. Use it. And don't think like, oh, well, I think I'm God's servant and I can trust him to use this for his glory. Here's the other thing. Last thing I'll say. This is the thing actually that helped me the most. Well, I don't know if it's helped me the most. This is one of the things that helped me the most from this is just liberty. to be. I almost brought this huge stack of books on preaching. Like here's this stack of books that I've read on preaching. It's like all these rules. Some of them say one thing. Some of them say another thing. And it's like, I just feel, I felt more liberty today than I ever felt, I think. Because I was like, you know what? I'm God's servant. I don't have to follow all these rules that aren't necessarily in the Bible. I can just ask God, God, what's pleasing to you? Do you want me to do an outline or do you want me to pray? It's like, well, if you want me to pray, I, I guess I'll skip the outline. You know, it's like, whatever you want, you know. Um, just liberty, just to be myself, 
You know, hey, do I have weaknesses? Absolutely. But you know what? I should also have liberty. Liberty to do what God wants me to do. And that's encouraging. Maybe you need that. Maybe you're trying to fit into a mold, somebody else's mold. Like, well, this person's really pleasing to God, I think. And so I'm going to try and fit into their mold. Well, don't do that. Look to God. Ask God. Say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And if he tells you something that nobody else does, that's okay. You're his servant. You're not everybody else's servant. You don't have to jump in uh, and do what so-and-so is doing. Do what God tells you to do. Well, we can be thankful. We can be thankful to God that we're his servant. He is a good master, isn't he? Yeah. I hope going forward, this is the last thing I'll say. My prayer going forward is that for me and for you, when we hear that word Lord, it would be different. It would be like this word that has all this meaning, not a filler, not, you know, when we pray, it's like Lord, 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 or Father, Father, Father. You know, it's like a, almost a word that we put in in a pause. I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be full of meaning. When I say it, what I mean is, God, you're my Lord. Whatever you want, I belong to you. You're the one providing and protecting for me. And I'm living for your, for you, not for anyone else. And uh, I hope that's the same for you. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we do come to you, and we are just your servant, and we're not the main thing, Lord. And so I pray that if I got in the way of anything I said, where I got in between the people and you, I pray that you just forgive me and that it would just drop out of their minds. Lord, we do want to just lay down our lives before you and say, God, we're your servants. Do with us whatever you want. You want us to go, tell us to go. You want us to stay, tell us to stay. You want us to speak, tell us to speak. You want us to not speak, tell us to be silent. Lord, you can use us or you can lay us aside and we'll praise you. Lord, make us servants at our work. Lord, would you just bless the things we do at work so that your name would be glorified. Lord, would you help us at home? Lord, would you make these things real in our hearts so that we could have good attitudes. We could have joy in our hearts, overflowing joy for who you are, for the price you paid for us and everything you've done for us. I do pray, Lord, this wouldn't just be another bit of information to think about, but that it would be part of our identity that we would Go forward here believing I am God's servant in all the right ways and keep us from all the wrong ways. We hand it all to you, Lord. You're a good God, and we trust you completely. Amen.